Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by Norman Lieberman, who is a self-proclaimed money maker for humanoids. <laughs> Norman, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Jonathan. Hey, great to have you. Thank you. Could we start off by um, having you just tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I'd be glad to. Thanks. For the last 37 years, I've been an executive recruiter. I worked in different disciplines. My background is as an accounting person. I was a former controller. And so initially, when I went into recruiting, I only placed accounting people. And then over the years, I segued into other disciplines as each discipline at different times got beat up in the marketplace. I went to where the monies were. And over those years, I've learned um, what it takes to get hired, to get hired quickly, uh, and to get the most money and or get a significant raise, significant, not minimal raises. And uh, so I've, I developed a system uh, around all of this that works really well for me and my clients. And so uh, since I've been in this business so long, I, I am doing now, by choice, a little bit less of the recruiting and more of helping individuals. So what I typically do, I help technical professionals like engineers, scientists, and accountants quickly se secure the pay raise that they earned and deserve of at least 20%. And, uh, but in the midst of that, I construct resumes that grab hiring managers' attention while positioning the candidate for much more money. And again, much more being typically at a, a floor of 20% and above, and much, and much above that depending on the individual. Great, so as you probably know, the audience listening to this show uh, is primarily independent software developers who you know work yep. for themselves, but I know that there's going to be a lot of value here from the standpoint of uh, positioning in general, even though you're talking about positioning someone for a full-time job, there's still that concept of how to maximize the return based on how you present yourself. So that's, that's pretty universally applicable. And also there's this, there's some concepts around how you've built your business up over the years. You've mentioned pivots a couple of times and the, the sort of recruiter hat side of the business is, is interesting because you've got these two different, sides of the market that you serve and uh yeah and the difference between the way you price one versus the other so i think all of this is uh, very interesting from a meta layer and also from a uh, sort of positioning and marketing layer yeah all right so could you describe so of the two so let's say is it fair to call like the one side of the business recruiting and the executive recruiting the other side executive coaching or sort of job applicant coaching yes yeah uh, all of those. Okay. And what can you describe? You know, I don't know if you, we haven't discussed this yet, but do you have sort of particular productized services or, or customized services that apply to each of those different things? Or do you just sort of do custom engagements all the time? Or is it more defined than that? No, it's, I really have to customize as I go. Uh, so even though, Generically, I'm in the same business. You could say I'm, I'm either coaching people and or uh, working with large clients, large company clients. And how do you get to those clients? You know, how did I do this business? It might be interesting if, you, if you'd like to go there, yeah, yes. how I even started in this. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people do want to, you know, a lot of uh, especially software developers want to get into that enterprise space. And it just seems like an unassailable castle wall like how do you get in there yes uh, it's great well i'll tell you how i got in there and and i'm not intimidated at all so this is what helps me more than anything is that i can handle the rejection i don't look at it as personal rejection i look at it that a lot of people i'm talking to have some kind of personal issue themselves <laughs> uh where they feel that they have to talk to me try you know talk down to me, swear at me. I've had everything happen to me, but this is how it started. You can tell even from my voice on uh, right now in our conversation together, you have a much deeper, more resonant voice. So you're, the type of voice that you have is a type that we're more, li more likely than me get attention. Um, with my voice, 
even though I've learned how to use it a little bit better over the years, I have a voice that's much younger than what I actually am age-wise. So that hurt me. I'm making a thing out of this because that hurt me when I first started. Here's what happened. I got hired by an agency that only placed the county people. They said, we have a satellite office in another area. We're going to give you a room, an office, essentially, and um, a two-line phone. This was 1981. A two-line phone and... um, a Rolodex with some businesses that didn't work out for the company and a phone book. So largely I had a phone book essentially, and I had a call to companies and I would call into their accounting departments because that's what I was interested in. And I would get a hold of either the accounting manager or the controller typically. And, uh, and depending on their personality and how much time pressures they were under, they would be telling me to drop dead and way worse. They were swearing at me sometimes, told me to get lost, what's wrong with me, whatever. And so I learned that, hey, my approach obviously isn't working very well, and I had no training. So I just said, but hey, I think I'm halfway smart that I can figure this out. So I, I, I learned fairly quickly that I had a really take command of the of the conversation right from the jump that's number one and that doesn't mean yelling screaming or anything like that but i had a sound older than my voice more mature than my voice because i couldn't do much about my voice Hmm. and so uh at least that's how i saw it and so uh i would practice and then eventually i figured out okay you know what if i have a one line script no more than two lines, because you, in, in, in terms of uh, seconds, at least for me, I found that if I'm, if my intro is longer than 20 seconds, then geometrically my odds are going down fast. Uh, as to be, yeah, I'm going to get lost in the weeds here. So I, so that person on the other call within seconds, and I'm going to say you got to try to do this in five to ten seconds, be able to get their attention. If you don't, if you're selling cigars and they don't smoke, I mean, there's no sense of moving on, right? So right. That, that's about how it goes. So I learned how to take an outstanding candidate and put them together, put their expertise together in one or two quick uh, bullet points, if you will, mm. to get their attention. But in order, over the years, I learned to find out what their problem is in advance. So how did I do that? So I would call other people in the company, in, the, in their department or, or a related department, and I would get them to talk. Now, this is a whole nother, take us down a whole nother path here. Let's pause there for a second because I'm curious, very curious about that. But could you give us uh, and the listener a little bit of an idea of what you mean by taking command right from the jump. Can you think of an example or a, a kind of a procedure that you go through? You know, is it a, is it a, a leading question? Is it a tantalizing tidbit about the recruit, uh, the, the candidate? Is there any kind of pattern to it that you could get just to give people a feel uh, to kind of instantiate that a little bit? Okay. Um, that one changes with each call because I'm giving them uh, a nutshell statement of the person because that's what I'm selling, right? I'm selling mm-hmm. a, another person's services to that company. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to get them to use my services. I'm not talking about, hey, we're the, I'm the finest recruiter in the land. <laughs> I don't go to any of that stuff. Of course, I used to try to do that. Right. and fell flat. They don't care about that. They want the end result. So the end result is if I did my homework right, emphasis homework right, mm-hmm. then I know that they have a problem with system XYZ, whatever it is. I've discovered on my own that they're having issues with XYZ. That could be their computer system. That could be uh, that two people quit last week, wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. I found out what that problem is and that I have the solution for the problem. And the solution happens to be my candidate, candidate X, but nonetheless, I have the solution. So I would lead off with something like, um, and by the way, I wouldn't be shooting from the hip like I'm doing with you. I have it written down, I have it parsed out, and I have said it over and over out loud to myself, 
a number of times before I'm comfortable in calling the person. Mm. Even to this day, I do the same thing. I practice it out loud. I'm listening for any pauses, any hiccups that I would have. I'm thinking of what their reaction is going to be when they tell me to drop dead. <laughs> and and I, yeah, I have to be planned for every contingency, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, so that's kind of what I do. But I'll give you an example of the other end, and that would, from the other side, that would be um, if I'm trying to recruit a candidate, you know, because mm-hmm. other companies hire me, they pay me thousands of dollars. I work on retainer, on a parcel retainer. So they pay me thousands of dollars to go out and find the right person that they're having a hard time securing for themselves. Mm-hmm. So when I get a potential candidate on the phone that I think I want to recruit, then I would be saying this to them once I found their, uh, I, and I know how to find their uh, uh, extension number and get them on the phone. So they say hello, and oftentimes, you know, they say it in a gruff way, hello, you know, they're half asleep or whatever. And they don't want to talk to people on the phone. No. So, so especially if they couldn't identify who the call is, it's not from a friend or something. Yeah, so, everybody listening has had the experience of being spammed endlessly by recruiters looking to to place them at some startup in Silicon Valley. So it, we definitely, we're definitely understanding you. <laughs> right. So how do you get, a, how do you get past that? Okay. You get past that by hitting them a little differently from what everyone else has said. And it would be something like what I'm going to share right now. So they say, hello. And I say, would you be open or Joe, whatever his name is, Joe, would you be open to exploring and discussing a career opportunity if it was clearly superior, if I can demonstrate to you that it's clearly superior to your current situation, and I shut up. That's one line, one question. If he says, hell no, you're a nutcase, drop dead. Hey, I'm okay, I'm done. There's a million other people I, go, I can go to. Plus, I can call that same kid back a week from now and call him. He won't remember me. Yeah. One, one thing that is critical to what you just said that I want to emphasize is the and I shut up part. Yeah, I shut up. I say nothing. Not even when there's dead silence, because this is what this is critical. Mm-hmm. And often, very more than fifty percent of the time, there's dead silence. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, pace it off how long, but it depends. Say ten seconds, fifteen seconds, where they're thinking, "Wow, this sound." Here's what's going through their head. This is different. Wow, what the hell? He's got something that's superior. I mean, he said nothing. I didn't tell him what it was. I told them nothing about the job except it's superior to what they would they be interested in hearing about. So depending on the person I'm talking to, he or she is going to say, well, I've, I've got one minute. You know, they'll say something like that. I have mm-hmm. one minute. Tell me what you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they want me to summarize 10,000 word document into 30 seconds. Well, okay. So I, one thing I want to call out here is that, cause I know, uh, I know probably people are listening to this and thinking, oh, well, I'm never going to do cold calls. So that's, this doesn't apply to me, but here's, here's how it does apply. You do talk to clients, perhaps you sort of sit around and hope for them to show up and email you and jump on a phone call with you. And the dead silence piece is critical, uh, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, at least many situations, but the one that comes up the most is when people finally get you on the phone and they say, oh, great, this sounds good. I think it's a good fit. And then at the end, what do they say? They say What's your hourly rate? And since I'm, you know, my advice to people is to just say, oh, I don't have an hourly rate. And then wait and stare into the void of the dead silence that opens up, which will feel like 10 minutes, but it's probably more like five seconds. But just do not say anything. And eventually they will, they will, their brain is turning. It's clicking. You've introduced a new stimulus to their world. This is not something they've encountered before. And they have no choice but to say, well, how do you price your work? And then you can, you already know what to say. You know, you say, oh, well, I'll give you a fixed price so you know in advance how much it's going to be. Will that be all right? Well, you segued into pricing at the bequest of the of the firm whoever you talk to the boss you let him do it at on his or her terms instead of your terms mm-hmm. so i never ever would have answered that question the way you 
at least the way you laid it out to me. So I would have said something like this. If they, if they were asking me about my pricing, uh, again, we're switching now to the client company versus a candidate. But um, if the company asked me right away, I know that I'm going to die right there because pricing came up way too early in the conversation. He's focused on the wrong thing. He should be focused on his problem. I got to bring him back to the problem and say, well, so what I'm going to say is, oh, I'd be glad to uh, answer that. But before I do, I need to understand the issues at hand here. What are we dealing with? So then I go right in to start asking immediately. Don't give him a second pause to go right into sounding smart by asking smart questions about the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding is you have an opening for such and such, or you're having difficulty with such and such. What's, how long have you been looking for, for this engineer? And he says, well, for six months. And say six months, that's a long time. Uh, what's been holding you back from finding the right person? Well, we need someone who can fix fuel systems on an F-25 <laughs> or whatever the numbers of the planes are. F-25, and, um, and there's only two, three, four of them at most in the United States. And so I went on into delving into that, into uh, essentially is a job description. I'm asking him about what the problem that they're having and what have they done to solve it. And so then they'll say, well, we had 35 agencies that we're looking at. We saw 200 resumes and nobody fit. So who was the closest person that fit? Was there anyone that was reasonably close? Yeah, we'd like this one guy from Maryland who blank, blank, blank. And so I'm pulling, I'm gaining uh, uh, information. I'm garnering, garnering information from this person. I'm building a rapport as I'm going along. And I'm not just one of the other schmoes that are calling right behind me or right before me. They're seeing that I'm not operating like, like the, everyone else used to, mm-hmm. uh, or that he's accustomed to, rather. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's how I do it. I keep, I keep onion peeling that back till essentially I really got to the heart and soul and the meat of the matter. Mm-hmm. And that is going to bond me to him. And then I'm asking them a little bit more personal questions, too. Well, you know, I'm, I'm curious, and I go by his, his voice inflection, but I'm, I'm curious, Joe, how, um, how long have you been with, you know, I am, how long have you been here? And he says, yeah, I've been here 18 years, and it's a long time. Well, you sound a little tired. <laughs> You're worn out. For, whatever. I'm pulling a relationship together out of thin air. Mm-hmm. I'm making a relationship happen, and it's not too far removed. If you're if you have the gift of gab, and you went to a party, and you and you run into someone you never met before, and you engage them. Sometimes people give you thirty seconds, and they're off to the next person. But other times, if you're if you're good, you start pulling them in. You say, so what kind of work do you do? How long have you known the host of this party? Oh, you guys went to school together. What school was that? And you can keep going. They're all, if, if you notice, they're all open-ended questions, you know, that get the person talking. Sure. And that's how I um, pull people into a relationship. If you're talking price, if you're talking price before you have a relationship, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you're going to, and you, the odds are high that you're going to fold, that you're going to go down fast. They're going to slam the phone on you. And by the way, I, I, speaking of slamming the phone, I've had it more than a few times, many times, where they told me it, in uh, four-letter words to, you know, where to go and drop dead and way worse than that on the phone and slam the phone down on me. And guess what? It, just a short time later, I was working with that firm, that same firm. And, and the reason is when somebody went crazy on me and went ballistic, I would call another high manager in that company and do business with them 
and or I've called that same gruff manager who was tough with me one or two weeks later, he has no, no he, he doesn't remember my, the conversation with me at all. Mm-hmm. He had a bad day or whatever. He doesn't remember, doesn't care. And so I start over mm-hmm. and I still can do business with them. I just caught him on a better day. So if, you, if there's any takeaway from this, it's that never, ever, ever give up. There's always another way. That really has saved me a lot. Yeah. Okay. So let me jump in there because I know people listening are getting hives because the, the generally the type of folks who are not as outgoing don't have the gift of gab. And mm-hmm. I want to kind of align with what you're saying. I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I, I know that the audience probably does not believe that they have, have the personality to pull that off. So I want to, I want to, sort of map it to things that I talk about on a regular basis. Like, okay. um, so I, I agree. You can't start talking price, uh, right out of the gate. That's a complete disaster. Uh, I do yep. still, you do need to deflect them off of the hourly thing. Cause if they are, if they have some sort of requirements, they have to get an hourly quote and, and you're not an hourly estimate and you just don't do that. Then you might as well hang up you know, once you determine that. So I have people, you know, when people are asked like, what's your hourly rate, the deflection is, you know, oh, well, I, I don't, I don't price my work like that. I don't have an hourly rate. Will that be all right? You know, and they can move past that and get right to the why conversation, which is the other thing I talk about. And it's essentially what you described. Not so much. It does create a relationship. It's a little bit less personal. It's a little bit more. Uh, it, I mean, there's certainly no reason not to make it to do that sort of relationship creation out of thin air if you're good at that or if you're comfortable doing that. But at the very least, you need to be asking, you need to turn the conversation around to, you know, why this project? Why do this now? How urgent is it? Why use someone like me to do something like this when there are many other ways you could do it more cheaply? And just deflect it back to what is the problem we're trying to solve here? What is the desired outcome? But if we could turn the conversation into something you've alluded to a couple times now, uh, as you're describing some of these phone calls, it's clear uh, that you've got basically some inside information. How do you do your homework in advance? How do you get that information? Inside information on the company? Yeah, like so oh, you yeah, know let, that okay. you know that they have some problem already so you can kind of you can kind yeah. of come in there with your ducks in a row. Okay, because I go to ancillary, secondary, tertiary people in the company uh, and or people who are used to be in the company and are now outside the company but they haven't been away that long. So they, um, they're still in touch with old people at the company that they know. Um, so those are the ways. So I can get to people who used to work there or people down the hall. Or it's amazing what, what people will give up if they feel comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and even if I get to, which happens a lot, get to someone who knows nothing about anything, uh, they will... I will ask them who would who would be in the know, and you have to use your voice inflection. And there's a lot of subtleties to this because you're dealing with different personalities. And if you were using your same exact personalities at all times, um, it's not going to things aren't going to work as often as if you're able to. Um, be a little bit more of a chameleon and change according to what you're hearing from the other person. That doesn't mean you're changing who you are inside a hundred percent, but you're changing around the margins enough to make the other person feel comfortable. So for just to give you a crazy example, again, you're at a party and someone that you talk to is nervous as heck. You just met them and they're talking real fast like this because in part they're nervous and you can tell their eyes are darting around. They're not giving you full attention. So you, I would talk to them somewhat differently than if I got a hold of some genius scientist who, you know, wants to dominate my time, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone does this. I, I think some people feel when it when when we talk about things like this, it feels uh, inauthentic to people. But but, you know, think about it. 
dear listener, you do this all the time. If you, you know, when you're talking to your spouse versus your boss versus your clients versus your kids versus your kid's teacher versus the soccer coach versus your, your martial arts instructor, you do this all the time, you know, and, and like a great example is just like a real clear, great example is like, some people you don't swear in front of, some people you do. Correct. That's a great example. Are you a different person all of a sudden? No, it's a different situation. You're just you're just being appropriate in the situation and being helpful to the other person to have this, you know, a conversation is a collaborative exercise and, you know, it's a it's a cooperation. So it's normal. And you want them to be comfortable with you. Right. Right. It's right. You want- right. It's not about being fake. It's about being appropriate. And, and making them feel comfortable and sort of fostering the communication. So don't, don't reject the notion out of hand, please. Well said. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. How do you, this is a very tactical question, but it is mm-hmm. not obvious to me how you would, in this day and age, how do you find the, the contact information for someone who's down the hall from your ideal buyer? Is it just LinkedIn uh, yeah. or calling the front desk? or? Okay, so... <laughs> That is a subject that if you asked me that same topic and said, how much time would we need to discuss this? I would say eight hours. Wow. Because at least, because uh, here's, but here's uh, the short version. I've learned over the years. Remember, I started in 81. That's when you had, you know, a push button phone, you had two or three lines, four lines on the phone. And uh, it was much easier to penetrate, to get numbers. They had normal places, had a receptionist, a human of, of some type. So things have changed. Uh, you know, I don't have to uh, tell you how they've changed, but it's markedly changed over the years. But having started the old-fashioned way, I know how to elicit the help of the receptionist. That, um, sometimes they are helpful, sometimes not. For the most part, they're gatekeepers. Right. But I just know so many hundreds of tricks because there's many, 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 many different types of phone systems, many types. Some of them have seven-digit, if you can believe it, seven-digit extensions hmm. some companies have. And so their whole reason is they don't want you to get through. They don't yeah. want you to... Be able to pay. Now it's always funny to me that they those same companies have a sales department and they want their salespeople to get through to other companies, but that's another story. Yeah, and, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, that's correct, absolutely. So I know how to call someone in engineering if I need someone in marketing. So I will go circuitous routes to get to the person that I want and to find information. And you can tell in a nanosecond or two, or I can after all these years, if I've got someone who's going to be cooperative or not. Are they going to hang up in three seconds? I just have, I'm so sensitive to it. I've heard, I can't even tell you how many thousands of, you know, hang ups on me and, and uh, calls where I was given BS and all that. So I, there's only about a dozen personality types out there even though we would say everyone's different, but on the phone, there's only a, 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 about a dozen kind of personalities with a few subgroups under that. So it isn't that many. So as soon as I hear the voice inflection, the way that they answer the phone, now some people are real gruff in order to give you an impression that they're tough and to hold you back, to keep you back. That's why they do it, to be tough. But once you penetrate that, you're good to go. They're regular. They let that guard down. Mm-hmm. And so it, you kind of, it's not something like I could train somebody that takes a lot of time on the phone getting hung up on. Right. And, and uh, I don't know if that really answers your question, but. It does. I mean, basically the answer is that it's really hard and it takes a lot of time in the trenches to do it. And that's fine because almost nobody listening is going to pick up the phone and call someone. It's just not something that we do. We're, the software developers listening are used to being the pursued not the pursuer. So, 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 but that's great information. And for folks who are in a trough, you know, the feast famine cycle, you're in the trough, uh, the famine Mm -hmm. cycle, um, calling people does work. I mean, if I know you won't do it unless you're desperate or if, you know, uh, that sort of thing, but it can work. Even if you're just beating your head against the wall and doing it wrong for the first, you know, week or so, you'll start to get a little bit better. You'll start to kick up some dust, but let's, let's shift gears a little bit. 
to pricing and how you price the two the two um, sides of your business. And because you said right away, you know, if if somebody's talking about price too early, you know, you're you're dead on the field. But if yep. you, let's say you are able to turn the conversation around, you're focusing on their problem mm-hmm. on the recruiting side of the fence to the extent that you can share what what is the approach that you take to pricing the engagement and what what does the engagement look like and how do you price it? OK, for me, it, um, uh, the last I, I don't know what I'm making up 10 years, 15 years, whatever I've been doing. Uh, $8,000 partial retainer that's non-refundable. And they and they all fall over themselves. I've never heard of such a, you know, it's normal. They're, they're all going to throw up and say, oh, my God, how can you do that? And the same people will spend, you know, $2,000 for tickets to a Rams game or right. something. But the, so they their job is to throw up on the phone that's their job and i and i accept it that's what they're going to do throw oh my god this is the end of the world but i said look you've already shared with me joe that this problem that you have x is costing you untold amount of money and time because you've been doubling up the work on your other people because this position hasn't been filled. Right. right Am I, right. did I hear you right? And he says, yes, that's right. I said, well, there's a point in time, especially in this market, it's a great marketplace right now. There's a point in time. I don't know where that is for each of those people, but they're going to be leaving or wanting to leave or be open to to listening to someone like me about leaving. Right. So yeah, the expensive uh, problem. Right. Yeah, so you've got uh, paying me is is nothing. Well, what guarantees? You don't have any guarantees. You don't have guarantees now. You want six months, and you have and and I'm dealing with companies that are multi billions, famous companies. All this, I said, you have huge HR departments working on this, mm-hmm. on this little placement that you're trying to make, and this one has gone on for six, seven, eight months. I mean, something is amiss. Mm-hmm. And and it's this type of placement that you're dealing with right now that I'm an expert in. So you can deal with all the other sources of uh, help that you're you're currently using, but they they've already proved to themselves that they can't do it. And what guarantee? You know, then they want to know. Well, what guarantee? You don't have a guarantee, but I want to do business with you again. I've been in business 37 years. Do I? There's no way that I want to. Uh, do just a hit and run, just come and make 8,000. I don't make a living. I'll be out of business at 8,000. I have to make the rest of the money, which is another, whatever, 50,000 to really make a living. I said, all I want is some skin in the game on your part. It's not enough for me to live on with 8,000. It's to show me that you have skin in the game because every company will have every recruiter running around in circles trying to fill a position and there's no commitment. Okay, so for folks who aren't familiar with the way the whole and uh, your business works from a pricing mm-hmm. standpoint, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a sort of retainer which entitles you entitles them to something from you that I'll get to in a second, and then if you make a placement, there's a big commission. There's a, even more correct. Okay, so it's on. So you have a, you are highly incentivized to get somebody in that role. Very incentivized, and they've got a. a um, a problem on their hand, and they know it, and that is they hired, I'm sure, five, six, seven, eight different recruiting firms that are doing it on a contingency basis. So they have all these people, and, and believe me, they're not putting much effort into it. They're looking in their uh, Rolodex, if you will, for who, or online. They're looking in their database for who they have, and can I throw anything at this? They're not going to put a lot of time into it because on a contingency basis, they're dealing with 30 different openings. I can only work the way I work on one or two at most at a time because I'm really putting my effort into it. I'm really rocking and rolling with this thing. I'm not looking in databases. You have something unique that's not going to be in my database. I have to go find that one out of a 10,000 person. Okay, so in the for the eight thousand dollar retainer, is there any kind of time component? Is it you know six months? Is it a month? Is it does it recur? Is there anything to it like that? Or at what point do you give up? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, there, I can tell you from experience that they do get ticked off when 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 you've given up. Uh, although that's rare, you know, I'm not 
perfect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's some parameters that they put into it that, uh, in most of these that preclude me from filling it, even if I find somebody like, they, like, like I had one rather recently and I sent them someone that they loved. They brought in everyone. They brought the president of the company back to meet this person. And because the company wouldn't compromise and say this, this lady wanted some different duties, like 10%, 15% of the time she wanted these other duties that weren't in their, in the scheduled block of duties that this company had slotted for this position. So she said, Hey, if I can also do this at the company, um, then I'm a go. And they loved her, but they said no, because they weren't flexible. And they also knew that these people were less than a dime a dozen. You cannot find these people. They were looking for God knows how long. And, um, and yet, they got boneheaded and, and, and said no to her. So consequently, I never came up with someone better than her. And that's often the case because they're looking for a needle in the haystack. I find the needle in the haystack and then the company has some goofy thing and mm-hmm. they'll never, ever, ever blame themselves. Sure. So it's gotta be me. Right. And meanwhile, you're out, you know, the 50 grand. So it's, Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough situation, yeah. but like you said, it, it's sort of like as long as it's few and far bet- between, then you can stay in business if that started to Correct. become an issue. Because uh, I talk about guarantees all the time with software developers, and it's the same kind of thing. They kind of freak out about it. And you know, I'm not saying you, Norman, should do this, but certainly software developers can consider mm-hmm. uh, setting themselves apart, differentiating themselves from their competitors, and also commanding uh, higher fees than they ever previously thought imaginable by offering some sort of guarantee. Maybe it's not a maybe it's not a um, yeah this uh, this system that we're going to build from you is going to land you Home Depot as a client. You can't guarantee be comical to guarantee something like that, but you can certainly guarantee certain things like uh, you know a year long bug free guarantee or uh, uh, you know, a handoff guarantee where you, where the internal team is trained to, uh, sufficiently to handle the system on their own and maintain the system on their own after six months or a professionalism guarantee. There are all these different things you can attach the word guarantee to that are, are probably in the software development world are probably things that you would do anyway. That's sort of like implicit guarantees because you just have a certain degree of professionalism that you would not go beneath and would be embarrassed if you did go beneath and would probably offer somebody some, you know, full or partial refund if you did screw up that bad. So uh, a lot of times when guarantees come up, it's what I say to people is like, look, think about what you already implicitly guarantee and make it explicit at the beginning. And it will have the effect of differentiating you and increasing your fees if you are willing to stand behind it. Given how you just explained that, I would be asking the the boss that I'm talking to at the company, I'd ask for them, what kind of guarantee are you looking for? Mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of guarantee makes you feel comfortable? So they'll lay something out, either nuts, you know, totally out of right. off the charts, or or something reasonable. It may be more reasonable. His expectations may be more reasonable before you speak up. You don't want to give him everything at once. You don't want to tell him, "Here's my standard fees, my guarantee that this is how it works." This is something that has some flexibility to it, the guarantee part. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to lose the whole deal over something that you might otherwise go with and right. find to be okay. So I would ask them, would it, what would make you feel comfortable to move forward with, with what we talked about today if only the guarantee was correct? Mm-hmm. If you worded it like that, so now we got to – so I worded it just now in such a way – that you've eliminated all other problems because he just, we just stated that, Hey, if everything else was good and all that's left is the guarantee, well, Hey, we already talked about everything else. So we're ready to put this to bed if the guarantee is right. And you can get so creative with guarantees, but why not find out where they're coming from first so that you can more easily take care of them and get flexible and say, and you could even do this if you can't think on your feet. You could say, and the guy comes back or the lady comes back and says, this is our expectations, guarantees. And your first reaction is, are they crazy? I can never do that or whatever. Say, okay, 
uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, if, you know, I haven't given this any thought yet because you just shared it, but is there a secondary or tertiary type of guarantee that might work, just maybe would work? Um, and, and, you know, assuming by then I already have a nice conversation going with them, they tell me a couple other things. So now I see what's important to them. Say, you know what, you made some great points here. And if the guarantee is the only thing that's preventing us to move forward, and it and it is that way, correct, Jonathan? And then you say, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, so we eliminated everything else, and and then I can go back. Let's put a time together. Can I get back to you tomorrow? It's four o'clock all right now. And they say, well, five o'clock's better. Okay, what number works best for you? Here's my cell phone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I say, I'll call you tomorrow. I have to talk to my other partners or whatever you say. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give some serious thought to, to this to see if, how we can accommodate you. It would be something like that. Sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and this is boom. all that. Yeah. That's all classic sales, you know. Yeah. It's all classic, mm-hmm. but most people don't do it. They get nervous. Right. So, yeah, I just want to call out for to people because I, I know that I, I feel like people are will get overwhelmed by, oh, there's so much to learn. I just want to code. Uh, and they'll just <laughs> they'll listen to this episode and they'll say, you know what? I should just go back in-house and get a job. But it's really, uh, I mean, what Norman's laying out is, is, you know, 37 years of experience and it just sort of fl- flows off the tongue. But it's not impossible. And, and, and I know from a decade of experience that we aren't going to be closing these deals on the phone. We just don't. It doesn't happen. It for us, for software developers, it happens. We have a conversation, but then you can go back to your cave and put together a proposal and then send the proposal over. You don't even have to review the proposal on the phone. And Norman's probably cringing at all of this, but that that is it works all the time. So you don't have to be in the moment. You don't have to think on your feet most of the time. But Correct. in right. that sales call, you do. So you want to make sure to learn your lines. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written an entire book on learning your lines for closing, a, for running a software sales conversation for a custom software project. So people should go to my website to check that out for sure. Another person that comes to mind, um, who, and maybe Norman, you've got some experience here too. Uh, Jill Conrath, who wrote, uh, Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah. Selling to big companies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rochelle and I just interviewed her on the business of authority and she gave an amazing interview. She's, uh, she's a master. Yeah. She's, she's very well known. Her book selling to big companies is amazing. And Harry Brown's book, the secret of selling anything. If you're, if you, yeah, folks who are listening, if this is all giving you hives, I would say the first place to go is the Harry Brown book, The Secret of Selling Anything. It is, it will calm you straight down and it will redefine what sales is because you, you know, dear listener, I know because I used to be there too. The used car salesman manipulating you and pressuring you into buying something you don't want or need and then you regret the purchase afterwards. That is, that is bad sales. There's also good sales. And if you're running a business, you need to do sales or hire someone to do it for you. There's no way around it. So and what I have told software developers, because I used to play some, is that I would tell them that everyone, I don't care who you are, you say, because they, they would tell you, Norm, I'm not a salesperson. I don't like sales, whatever. Right. So everyone is in sales. Mm-hmm. Everybody, there's been articles printed on this subject. Everyone is in sales. Say, you don't think that you're selling or using some kind of sales strategy when you talk to your kids and you want the kids to do X instead of Y. And, um, or you want your, you want to do something with your wife. She wants to go to the movies, but you rather watch TV. You don't think there's, there's some selling involved, if you will. You Mm -hmm. may think it's a bad word, but you're, you're always trying to convince by either your body language, your voice inflections, or the ver, the actual words that you use, what you're trying to do is, um, get someone to be in line with you. That's, right. uh, and that's the same thing in selling. It's just a little bit more formalized, but it's the same. It's, it's the same thing when you talk to your kids and they say, "No, I want to go to movies or I want to go to bed at midnight." Uh, <laughs> what do you say to them? You're really trying to sell. Hey, look, I'll give you two cookies if you go to bed or whatever. Right. There's an exchange, one exchange for another. Hey, if you go to bed now uh, in the morning, I'll do such and such with you. You know. Right. So it, it's. 
it's no different. It just sounds a little bit more formal when you're doing it in a business situation, but it's the same routine. And if you don't think that everyone sells, everyone, no exceptions, then you're you're sadly mistaken. Even babies sell. Why do you think they cry for the heck of it? You know, oh, they, yeah. they, they know they're going to get fed or changed or whatever. So there's, they're using what they have to sell you. Yeah, if you if you want to meet a master negotiator, hang out with a four year old for a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely, they're great. Yeah, it's they're unbelievable. They never give up. <laughs> right, talk about not taking no for an answer. Never. <laughs> so I think I think the critical thing to to keep in mind, and this is this is uh, me boiling down the entire Harry Brown book into basically a sentence or two, but the idea is coming at the the at the exchange with the intention of making the other person's life better. You're not trying to take something from them. You're not trying to trick them or convince them to do something that's not in their best interest. What you're trying to do is elicit an action, elicit a change on their behalf for them to break away from the status quo to something that's better. And if you, if you believe that you can do that, you kind of owe it to them to make them aware of that so that you have a solution to a problem that they've been suffering from. You have, you know, they have a broken leg, you have a cast. Would you like to know about this cast I have for your broken leg? Absolutely. Or is it rude yeah. to interrupt them? Oh, I don't want to interrupt that person out there drowning. Uh, I, maybe if he waves to me, I'll go help him, but I, I don't want to bother him. It's like, no, you know, <laughs> that's a great example. Just yes. put your, put, you know, you, if you see someone drowning, it's there, you have a moral obligation to try to do something about it. And I feel, you know, I'm pushing it way to the extreme just to make the point. But the idea is if you believe that what you offer has value, then that means that someone needs it or someone would stand to benefit from it. So you, you kind of owe it to them to make them aware of it and make it clear that they understand uh, what they're giving up if they don't take advantage of it. And once you get to that point, if you feel like they understand and, and they still are saying no, okay, fine. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a never take no for an answer type of person either. I'm not a real, I'm not a hard seller at all. But if you come at the, if you come at the interaction thinking of it as a, a mutually beneficial, mutually profitable exchange, you know, they'll, you know, they probably are giving you money. It could be something else, but they're probably giving you money, mm -hmm. but they want what you have more than they wanted the money because the money is sitting there in their account doing nothing. How are they going to invest this in a way that's going to give them a positive return? So both in a, ideally both parties will profit from the exchange, even though you're getting the money and they now don't have the money, they're still profiting. And a lot of people don't recognize that. Yeah. And I, to add to that, I think a lot of solo practitioners, especially people who are very technically oriented and just want to go out and do it on their own so they can bill higher and all that, yep. is, and keep the billing, you know, the differential, it, is that you're a business of one. You're a business of one. Emphasis on business. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, and, so you are a business. Even though you don't want to think of yourself as a business, you want to think of yourself as just Joe who used to do coding and wants to do it as for a living uh, on his own, basically to be a business of one mm -hmm. without any uh, bringing any business acumen to the table. Right. You just want to call yourself, hey, now I'm a coder on my own and I don't want to deal with anything that has to do with business, but you elected to go into business. You're not just a coder, you're a coder in a business. And, and if you just think that you're rolling over from doing the exact same thing at work so you can get 50% more down the street by just saying, now I'm Joe Smith uh, and I'll just bill you under my name, Joe Smith, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You're definitely preaching to the choir here. You know, even though you're like, oh, quit your job. Now I'm a freelancer. Well, you're a business person now. And yes. now you've got twice as many duties as you had when you were at, uh, when you were, uh, you know, under somebody else's employment. And the sad state of affairs that a lot of people are experiencing is due to the fact that they're not doing that other half of the work. So, you know, right. yeah. So you have to recognize that uh, your employer was doing something for the, the value that they were capturing on top of your hours or however they, however the arrangement yeah, was. Yeah, and now you, uh, once you said I'm a business, you've assumed those duties, but you're saying, hey, I'm not going to do those duties, even yeah. though that comes with the title. Mm -hmm. 
Right. It's like, I want to be a janitor on my own, but I don't want to clean bathrooms. <laughs> you know, I mean, well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I know we could go on all day. So why don't no, we. I love that topic. I yeah. Love yeah. Let's let's leave it there, though, for this time around. Maybe come back again. Um, so that was that was really fun. So where can people find out more about you online? Okay. Uh, now, you probably can tell I'm not a big online person, so I don't have anything fancy here. But my site is your, that's Y-O-U-R, first, spelled out, F-I-R-S-T, priority.com. Norman, at, my email is norman at your first priority.com. The name of my company is First Priority Services, but I couldn't get that domain name, so uh, I was forced to put your, Y-O-U-R, in front of it. Yeah, uh, the state of affairs. Yeah, it is. So that's, but, uh, but I get uh, I can't remember more than one or two people over the years that ever said they looked at or I, I, I get no business from that. I get all the business uh, online with famous companies. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a great point. All right, great. Well, thanks for joining me, Norman. Uh, oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, for those that are still working, I don't know if I'm a, you could take this out of the call if you want to delete it, but mm -hmm. for those that are still working, they haven't made the switch and jumped over uh, to go on their own, and they just feel underpaid, but they really deliver well, I coach people on how to get significant more, more monies from the same boss assuming that they're doing well, that they really deliver. If you really deliver, but you don't, re you don't know how to get your boss to cough up, that's what I help people to do. Great. And then go to the same website? Um, yeah. It, but basically, I would just send me an email at that email address I got. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'd rather just go that way. You already met <laughs> me here on this phone call, so <laughs> right. you know me to some degree. Right. Write me, and I'll do a free assessment for any of your people of their resume and their packaging of how they're going about to sell themselves for more money. So whatever they've got going here, at least from a 10,000 foot level, I can take a look at it and see what they're missing. And, and I can tell you on this call, if you'd like me to in one minute to tell you what most people are missing. Yeah. Let's yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. We can wrap it on that. Okay. So what they're, the mistake that they make, the biggest mistake is that they don't know how to couch their experience or state their experience in such a way that um, employers or potential employers or their current employer for that matter uh, will really, really appreciate. So they, they talk in terms of uh, uh, processes and procedures and they, they don't talk in terms of results. Mm -hmm. And what really gets companies' attention are results, which I can share a lot with you, but there, there's a language in business. In fact, I'll ask you, Jonathan, what's the language of business? I don't know. The language of business is numbers. No numbers, there's no business. Any business. No numbers, hey, I don't track numbers, I just sell. You know, whatever. If he, they're not going to last long. So the language of business is numbers, and the language of engineers, um, and I'm talking about, you know, the regular engineers that uh, work at companies. Yeah, like not an aeronautical engineer. in the computer, yeah. Um, the language of engineering are numbers. So I deal with a lot of engineers and they, and they create documents like resumes that speak nothing about numbers. They talk about processes. They talk about duties. They talk, um, they, it, it, this is both, they speak verbally and on paper about processes yeah, and, responsibilities and, and things and, like and, that. And, yeah, and they do not talk about problems and results in a measurable way. And that's what it's all about. You need to be talking about, I have reduced costs 30%, I reduced delivery uh, errors by 15%, I, whatever. And, and I could go on and on. But, but most people, just to give you a quick uh, example here, sure. here's how most people talk. doesn't matter what this person does for a living. Weekly control meetings, including documenting and following up on action items based on the outcomes from the meetings. 
tells me zero and will not that kind of statement will not lead to more money. That leads to eyes glazed over. Here, give you one more that is a poor is a poor statement. Managing product quality evaluations to ensure contract technical specification compliance prior to delivery. That's off of people's resumes. And and when you use the preposition to, T-O, I think is a preposition, um, you're saying that's going to happen in the future instead of that you have done that. So the whole wording is wrong, and there's no measurement of your success. So how can I distinguish you from a thousand other people with the same title? But if, I, if, but if a great candidate came in and said, hey, look, I reduced manufacturing costs by 30%, which saved the company over 4500000 last year alone. That's a person, assuming you know I'm in manufacturing, whatever, that I want to talk to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure this sounds familiar to the dear listener because I'm constantly beating the drum on proposals or case studies or testimonials. All of your marketing materials, all of your sales materials, you should be focused on business outcomes, measuring, you know, measurable business outcomes. They don't have to be. Absolutely. They don't have to be tangible. They, but they definitely need to be measured. And the more tangible they are, the better, the closer they are to the dollars, the better. So my experience is that they don't know how to do that. Yes. And I understand that because I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people with this is that they can't. In fact, I have trouble looking at myself. It's always hard to look at oneself like mm-hmm. a doctor doesn't, you know, examine himself. He has to see a doctor because right. he's, he's not impartial. Mm-hmm. And so the hardest part is being able to convert what you do into something measurable and people have a hard time with that. And I am an absolute pro at that. Excellent. You need, Oh, plus one more thing that will help your people. You can knock it out if you don't want to use it, but but I have so many things I get excited. I want (laughs) that you want to have a branding statement. Now, most people haven't heard of that except sure. Everyone heard the term brand, but I, and as far as I know, I, I made it up myself, but I, who knows, maybe it's been around forever, mm-hmm. but a branding statement in a nutshell tells people the ultimate deliverable of what you bring to the table, the ultimate deliverable. And so when I create these with people, they, um, it changes their life for, and so I'm going to give you a branding statement. Of course, this has nothing to do with computers, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And this is one that I created with someone. And here's, uh, this would be the lead off of your resume, like the title of a book, right? right? It's, right. it's at the top. So it says master at closing the gap between quality and technical issues while saving millions of dollars in the process. So here's a person just summarized in, in a phrase, literally that they save millions of dollars we're only paying you 150000 or whatever. I mean, so right there, right at the very beginning, I got a profit with this person if, <laughs> if this really amounts to anything when I call them in. Right. Yeah, as long as it's a credible claim, then it's a no-brainer. Yeah, but you're going to have to vet them for that. It's, it's amazing to see the parallel between two things that seem so different. One would be, you know, marketing your independent software business or selling your independent software services versus getting a raise or getting a better in, in-house job. It's the same concept. I talk about the laser it's focus the positioning concept. statement. It's the same yep. concept. If there's any changes, it's marginal around the edges. Right. But yes, it's the same thing. You're coming at it different directions and it's all about the client. It's a hundred percent. You get tell all your listeners. It's a hundred percent, not 99%, 100% about them. Zero about you, even though in your head it's all about you. Right. Yeah, you got to, that is the shift. Go from, you, you just need to move to that shift, that sort of me focused to you focused. Stop talking about, you know, all your skills on your resume instead of that. Talk about the results that you've delivered. And the problems that they have. So if you put those two together, juxtaposition the problems versus the end result that you achieved over and over again with something similar, there you go. They, it's a match in heaven. It's hard for them to say no. Excellent. All right. That's probably a good place to leave it. Thanks again for joining me, Norman. My pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. 
If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Thanks. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.